0: Good morning. Good to see everyone. Uh, if you're new with us, I'm Jay. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad to have you here as we uh, celebrate this Independence Day weekend. And um, we're, uh, for those of you that are uh, online, I want to say welcome also. And um, we're going to be uh, taking communion here at the end of the message. Uh, so for those of you that are watching online, here's a little bit of your, I don't know, maybe this is your 20-minute heads up um, for that. Um, but we've been talking through uh, a series called Hot Topics, and we've been looking at tough questions, and we've been looking at tough topics, uh, questions that are asked inside and outside the church, uh, that maybe we don't always say out loud, but we probably should. Uh, things that uh, we're going to weigh into, and that we have weighed into, that don't always have easy answers. Uh, they're not always wrapped in a nice uh, little box, but. Scripture can help us to navigate those um, those things with with wisdom, grace, and intelligence, and. Um and I'm just going to be honest, I got a bit of a heavy heart uh, this morning with just the in, in light of the things that are happening uh, in, in our world over the last week or so, and, and even in our community here in Akron, um, with just some of the things that have that have gone on, and, and it's funny because I think God really kind of knew um, w- what was going to be happening, where we were going to be going in all of this, and, and uh, so, you know, I had the opportunity, if you will, to maybe take a break from Hot Topics for a week, but um, I think we need to weigh into it a little bit today. And so I want to kind of start with, with something that we've started with from, from the beginning of this series, which is this idea that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. And as the church, it's, it's actually good for us to ask questions. Asking questions is, is not a bad thing. Uh, we shouldn't steer away from the tough questions, from the tough topics. Um, but also we need to look at the reason that we engage in them. Why do we engage in them and how we engage in them matters? Do we have the knowledge and the understanding to engage or post about them? Um, How does it affect the kingdom of God if we do? How does God think about this topic? What does God think about this topic? And do those things weigh more than my opinion about it? And what I think about that topic specifically And so as we do go into this weekend and what it means for us as Americans, uh, Independence Day and all of that, you know, you can make the argument that in a lot of ways uh, we're still fighting for independence um, in in some ways today. There's some that would believe that uh, to a degree. But you know, our country is as divided by politics as it's ever been. I mean, more more than it's ever been in any time in my life that I can think of. Uh, I know that some of you have been around a little bit longer than me and could potentially weigh into that a little bit, too. We're in a very divided time. And so to me, it just makes sense that for us to look at a hot topic today, a tough question today, the question being, what is the church's place in politics? And I know some of you are like, okay, so that's today, and he's going to be that, that guy, right? I get it. Stick with me. Trust me trust God. I want you to listen to an excerpt from an article that I found that I thought was really interesting that it was about the Reverend Billy Graham. Amazing evangelist. um, Amazing (laughs) saint of our day in many ways you could say that. This article was written three days after he passed away. Listen to this. It says, takes great discernment and a close walk with God to navigate the ever." forceful political waves that have intensified in the United States in the last two decades. Evangelist Billy Graham had some admittedly stronger and weaker moments as he tried to navigate American politics. His relationship with presidents of both parties were emblematic of his effort to not only save souls, but also project religion as nonpartisan and non-denominational Americanism. He sought to be seen as above the partisan political fray, but in his actions and associations, he often proved how difficult such an attitude can be to achieve or sustain. He was never a radical in the usual sense of the term. In the struggle for civil rights, he had episodes of courage, such as integrating his revival meetings in 1953 or bailing fellow cleric Martin Luther King out of jail in Albany, Georgia in 1957. But in the movement's crunch time in the 1960s, Graham was missing in action. He skipped King's March in Selma and many others for which he expressed regret in a 2005 interview with the Associated Press. He also repented of his forays into presidential politics, telling Christianity Today in 2011 that he, listen to this, he would have steered clear of politics. He said he was grateful To have ministered to the needs of people in high places, but looking back, I know I sometimes crossed the line and I wouldn't do that now. How might the church as a whole today be making some of the mistakes that Billy Graham himself regretted? I think that's a good question to ask. Where is our trust? Where is our hope? Is it in politics? Is it in Americanism? As believers? Are we defining our faith by our political affiliation or by our citizenship in the kingdom of God? I think that's a better question to ask. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. See, our hope is in Jesus, not politics. We trust in our Savior, not in a government. It would be foolish for the church to trade the heart of the gospel for the endorsement of a candidate or a political ideal, but unfortunately, we've done that in recent past in some regards. On both sides of the aisle, See, a divided country needs a united church. We live in a divided country, and this country needs a united church. The U.S., we seem to keep finding ways to be divided. We seem to be really good as the United States to find ways to be divided. From voting to COVID to the LGBTQ community, to violence and racism to Roe v. Wade we find a lot of reasons who knows what's next I think about you know the, our, our community here in Akron and, and what's transpired transpired even over the last couple of days I think about my, my friends and, and in the black church community and um, that are dealing with this in, in ways that if we're going to be honest we're not but it should. It affects us all. Think about the family of, of that young man that was shot. And the way that things like that don't take sides in terms of the right thing to do for, for a family that's hurting. Regardless, there's a whole lot we don't know. There's a whole lot we don't know about that. Some more things are going to be coming out uh, here in the next couple of hours. And there's very real potential for things to get worse before they can get better. But does this city need us to be divided or united as the church. This is an opportunity for us to be the church. Think about the pro-life um, aspects of what happened last weekend. I mean, good grief, just think about the things that are happening right here in our community within the last seven days. Are we a pro-life church? Of course. Absolutely. Is the overturn a step in the right direction? I hope so. Is it, the whole, is it the whole deal? No, certainly isn't. There's so much more than just one court case for this complicated issue, absolutely. But I believe God values every life. No, we do not support abortion. But regardless of where you stand personally on this, on this issue, there are some real hurts and there are some real needs that the church should be united on and can't take sides on necessarily. That are there. As a church, we support and partner some organizations that, that deal with those needs and lean into those needs in, in some amazing ways that help mothers get the help and support they need. Places like Pregnancy Solutions that we've been supporting for years and years and years that help moms and give them what they need, regardless of where they're, where they're coming from and where they're landed, if they're in a crisis pregnancy or, or worse. And I'm proud to be supporting them. Organizations like Love Akron that, uh, that help with education and foster care and assistance there, as well as Rahab Ministries who leans into the same kind of thing. These are organizations that we support and continue to support as missionaries. We consider them our missionary partners. Rahab Ministries also helps women who are victims of sex trafficking and um, have really nowhere else to turn. And so we're supporting in that way as well. These are ways that can be a united church as opposed to the division that takes place when we take sides. Yes, it's about human life. Absolutely, it's about human life. But there are ways that we can invest in the lives of those that are affected and point them to Jesus by caring for them and meeting their needs in a real tangible way. The church needs to unite in our mission instead of our politics. We need to unite in our mission that Jesus gave us instead of our politics. Our witness cannot depend on who is in the White House or what legislation happens. It must depend on the person of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, I love what Tony Evans said. He said, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. You better believe it. See, our citizenship in the kingdom of God... (coughs) That's what matters. So what's our duty? What's our duty here? How does this look for us? Where does the church fall on politics? Let me say this. I don't think that's even the right question to ask. Because when you look at our citizenship through the lens of Scripture, some things get reframed. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look through a big section of Scripture today, and I'm going to go through it almost a verse at a time. And I think you're going to see the way in which these verses kind of reframe some of this stuff when, when Peter talks about our citizenship, not only in the land in which we're placed in, but more importantly, our citizenship in the kingdom of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. So let's read together here, beginning in verse 9, 1 Peter Peter 2. It says, "'But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. "'You are royal priests, a holy nation.'" God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. So, as citizens of the kingdom of God... His nation, his people, of which all of us are a part of. Peter here, he's saying that it's no longer Jew, Gentile. Like we are all brought together, those who are believers in in Jesus, we're all brought together as a chosen people. And so we have a new principle in life. We because we're a new life principle as a chosen people, we have new access to God as this royal priesthood, a new government as this holy nation that is over us and a new owner because he calls us his very own possession which I just I love that I love that statement that God looks at us in that way and that this affects us as believers in the way in which we live and that effect is described here as we keep reading together in the next few verses so let's keep going here verse 11 dear friends I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. So temporary residents and foreigners, that's all of us who are believers in Jesus. This is temporary. We're gonna be with Jesus and the kingdom of God and his kingdom community forever. This is a blip on the map Amen. in the timeline. And so we need to remember that regardless of where we're planted, we are temporary residents and foreigners. And so let's keep that in mind wage war against your very souls the worldly desires do be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors that's a big statement there that we're going to hit on in a couple of ways then even if they accuse you of doing wrong they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world So in light of what we've been talking about here, in light of our citizenship, not only as Americans, but more importantly, our citizenship in the kingdom of God, to be a Christian means to fight against the sinful desires of this world that battle against our bodies. Absolutely that happens. As long as we live in these bodies, we're going to be battling those sinful desires, every single one of us. And so it's easy to see how pursuing those per- sinful desires, how going after those things can destroy our physical bodies. But Peter's actually saying that it wages war against our soul. The inner man, the inner woman, the inner person, right? We can't escape it because of our sinful desires. If we follow our sinful desires, we're not going to be able to escape it. And we can't do it on our own. We know that. That's, what, that's, that's the power of Jesus there. And so what does that have to do with our citizenship then? Everything. <laughs> it has everything to do with it. We will fall so quickly to the influence of this world if we're worried more about what people or political parties think as opposed to God. What God thinks matters most. And verse 12 talks about godly living there. And essentially what he's saying is this. How believers live as citizens matters. How we live our life, how we participate in where we live as citizens of wherever God has us planted on earth matters. The way in which we carry ourselves, the way in which we engage or don't engage. The way in which we are members and citizens of where we are, that matters. And he's emphasizing the individual actions here not being judgmental toward others or worried about what other people's conduct is, but worried about ourselves individually first. I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. We shouldn't be surprised when unbelievers act like unbelievers. Yet we are. (laughs) We look at the news and we look at the world around us. We look at somebody we run into at the grocery store or whatever, and we know they're unbelievers, and and we're really surprised that they're acting like unbelievers. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be surprised. We should come alongside others and love people and love them regardless of whether we agree with them or not. We can be a good citizen and not agree. And it's godly living that makes our conduct honorable among those who don't know God yet. If you look back on that verse, it it, it talks about that. Because people can still be brought to glorify God by seeing the conduct in which We live that out. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Starts to all come together right here. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For some of us, that's a really tough sentence there. (laughs) For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Peter wrote this in the days of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was not very friendly to Christians. Maybe you didn't know that. It was not a democracy. They were not buddies with the church. Yet, Peter still recognizes the legitimate authority of the Roman government here. And we are warned against taking our liberty that we have in Jesus as an excuse for sin. There's a very clear warning about that there. But instead, we should use our liberty in Jesus to show the kind of love and respect that Peter is calling for as we interact with this world around us. See, our conduct is a way to defend the gospel. The way in which we handle ourselves is a way to defend the gospel. Listen, people who never read the Bible will read our lives. Let me say that again. People who never read the Bible will read our lives. Think about that. On an individual level here for a second, not not to the person next to you or the person you're thinking about that's not here. As citizens of God's kingdom, yes, we want to defend the faith. We want to defend the morals and, and the truth and all of that for sure. But many times we do it and it's a detriment to the gospel Instead, because of the way in which we go about it, you're hurting more than you're helping sometimes. And we're not even thinking about it that way. Peter's saying that by doing good and treating others well, by loving people, even if they disagree with us, being upstanding citizens in the way in which we conduct ourselves, that that will silence the ignorant fools that we call out in the name of politics and say that it's Jesus. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't take a stand for certain things? Of course not. Of course I'm not saying that. But there is a right way to do that that doesn't take the gospel or the church and rake it over the coals. And are we even thinking about that? Since governments have the rightful authority from God, we are bound by scripture to obey them. Unless, of course, they order us to do something that is in contradiction to God's word and God's law. Then we are commanded to obey God before man, which it clearly says in Acts chapter four, verse 19. But regardless, because our trust is in Jesus who is in control over all things, we're commanded to pray. Regardless, we are commanded to, to pray and that's part of our conduct as citizens of God and citizens of His kingdom and a citizen of our country. Look at what Paul says in First Timothy 2: 1 through4. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Stop there for a second. That's pretty all-inclusive, all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity this is good and pleases god our savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth boy there's a lot there you have never met someone or seen someone on online or on the news or in a press conference that you cannot or should not pray for. Let me say that again. You have never met someone or seen someone that you cannot or should not pray for. It is the most powerful weapon that we have. And as the church, it is the most underutilized weapon that we have. We don't pray nearly enough. That's not going to be the case today prayer, including petitions for government leaders, is an integral part of the Christian life. Early Christians, they were accused of undermining the state a lot of times because uh, they claimed a, a higher lord, a higher authority, other than Caesar as God Almighty. And they would point out that They supported the state, though, by being good citizens and praying for the emperor, but not to the emperor. There's a difference. See, believers are called to pray for their leaders. Like it or not, the scripture is really clear. Believers, we are called to pray for our leaders. And we have to acknowledge that praying for a politician, Republican or Democrat, does not mean that we have to agree with every one of their political positions it's not what we're saying it's not what the Bible's saying in many ways we should pray for a government and and for rulers simply leave us alone and let us live as Christians and we are fortunate enough for the most part to live in a country that does allow that for now bless you As Christians, we're not to look for any special favors from government. We are we're looking for a level playing field unrestricted by state intervention. That's the goal. Believe me, and you can look this up for yourself, there are many, 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 many other places on this earth where what we're doing right now would be extremely frowned upon and potentially even illegal I'm thankful to live in the United States of America, absolutely. But prayer for those in authority should always have an evangelical purpose. We should always be praying for them to come under the authority of Jesus and to make decisions that allow the gospel to be freely expressed. And I'm thankful, again, that as of now, we can say that. But we're going to pray right now. We're going to pray. We're going to come together and pray right now. I've got four people that are going to join me up here uh, to pray. And we're going to pray as a church family for our country. We're going to pray for our city. We're going to pray for our leaders. We're going to pray. And we're going to use the power of prayer to hopefully let it be a catalyst in us individually and to our city collectively and to our state, and our country, and our world. So I've asked four people to come up and pray that give us a good, I guess, kind of cross-section of our church demographically, <laughs> if you will. We've got Ashley Makota, Bob Douglas, Tyler Spear, and Michelle McLaughlin. And they're gonna lead us in prayer and through prayer as we join together. And we're, we're gonna literally and figuratively pray through that passage in 1 Timothy 2 together as a church family and from there we're going to roll right into this moment of communion together so will you join me as we pray together starting with ashley let's pray
1: lord thank you that we are able to come together as a community as one body under you lord thank you that you have brought us all here lord that you've been able to keep us safe thus far Um, And we just thank you that you have orchestrated a way for us to join together um, to show people you, Lord. And so we just ask that you would be with Connect Church um, and the churches in the area, Lord. We ask that you would be able to use us as a catalyst for change, Lord, that people's lives would be able to be changed um, through your great and mighty power. Nothing that we're doing, Lord, but we just ask that you would be able to use us, God. Um, and as as Jay had mentioned earlier, you know, as our community has been kind of rocked this week, Lord, um, with with all of the political things that have happened within this last week, Lord. We ask that you would be with the families um, of those who have been affected most deeply. Um, Lord, we ask that you would be able to be you would be able to provide peace and comfort, Lord, but that you would also be able to provide ways for you know families individually and us as a community to grieve the things that have happened um, and the things that we know aren't right and aren't the way that you want them to be, Lord. And we ask that through us as a church, being able to work through that together and with those in our community, that that would be able to help change lives, Lord, that you would be able to change lives um, through your great and holy power. Um, We thank you so much that you're able to do that. We thank you that you're going to do that, Lord. And we just ask that we can be a part of that, um, and a part of your redemption here in this community.
2: My gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with leaders who are concerned about the welfare of our community. Thank you for giving our governmental leaders wisdom to identify and courageously address concerns that impact our nations. Thank you for blessing their lives, Lord, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. You always keep your promises. You're gracious in all that you do. You help the fallen and lift those bent beneath their heavy loads. Almighty Father, the government of the earth is on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, the one we call Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. Therefore, We confess and pray that our leaders will rule in a manner that reflects the love and authority of Christ. By faith, we pray and declare that our leaders and those who work with them will trust in you, all of their hearts and not depend upon their own understanding. Pray they will seek your will in all they do. And as they do this, we trust that you will show them the proper path to take. Pray they will not be impressed with their own wisdom rather they will fear you and turn away from evil your word admonishes that a house divided against itself cannot stand therefore we pray for our leaders on every level that they will work together with leaders around the world for the good of all people pray our leaders will turn away from division and evil and do good they will search for peace and work to maintain it holy spirit Please arise in the governments of all nations and cause your enemies to be scattered. Continue to impart your wisdom, discernment, and understanding to our leaders. Touch their hearts to govern with fairness and love for their citizens. Give them answers to address the issues that are adversely impacting our world. Father, please protect our leaders from injuries, insurrections, and violence. We pray for our leaders so that we can live peaceful And quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Holy Spirit, help our leaders in government not to yield to temptation, but deliver them from the evil one. Cause them to draw near to you in all they do. Lord, you are exalted over all the nations. Your glory is above the heavens. Who is like you, the Lord our God? You are the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. You are worthy, O Lord our God. See the glory and honor and power. You created all things; they exist because you created what you pleased. We pray all these things,
3: Lord. You are good, and if you would let me, let me be a, a little selfish, and this is just me talking to you. Through the decisions of our leaders, both at the local level, the state, and the national level, their decisions have laid the foundations for our laws and those laws give us the freedom to live simple peaceful quiet lives and this freedom is a very beautiful thing notwithstanding any cultural reactions or backlash to our faith the law gives us the freedom to not just love and serve you but love one another and I speak for myself that it's very easy to place that quiet and simple and peaceful lifestyle on a pedestal because not only do you give us that freedom to pursue that lifestyle and goodness but you also challenge us to love others as Acts 1, 8 command us to make witnesses of everyone to speak life to other people through our conduct through our lives and not only would you call us to do that Notwithstanding the surrounding of circumstances, but additionally, the law gives us that freedom as well. It's a challenge, not just for me, but for all of us, that in our freedom to live good and simple lives, that we would take that same freedom given to us not just by you, but by our laws, and to love and serve other people as we've been called to be. Thank you.
4: Father, as we continue in prayer, we worship you as our creator and our sustainer of life. But Lord, you are also uh, the great forgiver. Um, You have great and boundless mercy, and we fall on that today. Um, I speak for me uh, because I have been guilty of not praying for and even being upset with some of the things that our leaders have done. So uh, I ask your forgiveness and for the forgiveness of any in our church body who also need your mercy. And Lord, I, uh, I was reminded as uh, Pastor Jay spoke today of the verse um, in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen: if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And Lord, we, we do ask for a healing of our country, of our relationship with other countries and, and here locally, Lord. And we just ask your mercy and your grace and we know that you will do that in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen.
0: we continue through this service this leads right into our connection point for the day which is a very simple statement but really does bring it all together and that is this is that our trust is in jesus our trust is in is in jesus not in not in the government decisions not in not in not in other people but in jesus and jesus alone And so we live under his authority. We live under his authority and those he has put in authority. And we strive to be upstanding citizens and let our conduct defend the gospel, not our soapbox, because we trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so as we lead into this moment of communion now, I hope that you will keep this quiet spirit in your heart for the next few minutes as we lead right into the Lord's table. The Lord's table, it's a moment that we give our heart and our mind over to God. It's a time of reflection, a time of worship. And I hope that there's a lot of maybe internal reflection that you're thinking through or feeling even right now. We need to put aside the stuff that we try to use to satisfy ourselves and rest in Jesus alone. Do you see how this applies exactly to what we've been talking about today? Our citizenship into God's kingdom, it was paid for by Jesus Christ, paid for by his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, sealed the deal. And so he calls us to set aside a time to remember that. And to refocus on what really matters and what should inform who we are in him. Remembering this because we love him and that we only exist because of his love for us.